0: The information provided on this podcast is intended to be educational and informational only and is not considered to be formal legal advice. The listener should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Any listener in need of legal opinion upon which to rely in decision making should consider formally engaging an attorney to review relevant facts in detail and examine the pertinent law as it applies to those facts. Hi, this is Kyle Mitchell, host of Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate, and you are tuned into Dream Chasers. Interviews with the future.
1: Societies have been guided and governed by fear forever. This is sort of the number one uh, method of controlling populations. Now, with the social media you have just mentioned and the technology, the methods have become a lot more sophisticated. And that is why, unfortunately, this invisible enemy has been invented so that we are all in the future controlled through a digital identity that will monitor our movement around the world, everywhere, every time. And the main purpose of that is
0: uh, 100% taxation, control, slavery. Hey, this is Adam, the host of Dream Chasers. And now it's time for a little ad. In past episodes, we've done a little ad for Raise Masters, the number one mastermind for elite capital raisers. And I've just found that ad to not be as personal as I would like it to be. So I just want to let anyone listening right now know if you're looking to improve your capital raising skills, whether it's in the world of real estate, business acquisition, nonprofit organizations, I mean, you name it, go to raisemasters.com and dive in. I just got back from a trip to Austin, Texas, where we were hanging out with 40 of our 100 members. And I got to be honest, it was an experience unlike any other that I've had before literally unifying with people who are all on the same mission, same journey, heading the same direction. And it's just cool, you know, thanks to our great leader, Hunter Thompson. It's really cool to be able to now deliver the tools that he and I have created and put together to individuals who are looking to simply level up their game when it comes to raising money. And you could be someone who's getting ready to raise your first half million dollars. You could be someone who's raised $500 million. There's still so many fundamental key takeaways and nuances in the curriculum that we've seen for ourselves work at all different levels of raising money. Anyways, wanna encourage you one more time to go to raisemasters.com. If you're already a member, go ahead and log in and dive back into the content. And two, if you don't know what we're talking about here, just click that button there. It says register for upcoming webinar. Would love to kind of run you through what exactly we've got going on here because it's been a lot of fun building this thing and we're just getting started. So one more time, raisemasters.com. And also thank you for listening to Dream Chasers, Interviews with the Future. It's time for the episode. Jeremy, my amazing producer, take it away. This is Dream Chasers, episode 193, Greatest Hits, featuring Adam's interview with Dr. Danger Zone. Hey guys, hi, Grandma. This is Adam Carswell, and welcome to Dream Chasers Interviews with the Future. On Dream Chasers, we bring next-level talent to the light. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get straight to the interview. Hello and welcome to Dream Chasers Interviews with the Future. On Dream Chasers, we bring next-level talent to the light, and we're definitely doing even more than that here today. I have Dr. Danger Zone Kolya Spori, but we're, we're going to refer to him as Dr. Danger Zone today here joining us for episode 158, a little bit of context here for you before we dive in and start to learn more about Dr. Danger Zone, him and I got connected through our uh, mutual friends and colleagues over at Lieberland, which I believe Lieberland is probably the most free country in the world right now. And it's no surprise to me that that's how Kolya and I met. I've had him on the Lieberland show, which is another show that, um, that I host. And quick fun fact before we start diving into his story, we'll lead with this. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Danger Zone, Koya has been to every single country in the world. Let me say that again. He has been to every single country in the world. Only person I know who's done that. And so we're going to learn a lot today about this world that we're living in now, and the invisible enemy, and how we can always remain one step ahead, protect ourselves, protect our freedom, protect our liberty and live the best life possible. So Koya, Dr. Danger Zone, I'm so grateful to have you. First of all, as a friend, I'm looking forward to catching up with you right now. And then also just learning from you. You've got so much insight um, from our previous experience and uh, I'm ready to hear it. So I'll pass the mic to you. You have, uh, I guess, could you kind of share a little bit about yourself and and your story and your journey before we dig in? Yes, hello, Adam. Uh, great
1: to see you again. As you said, we are fellow labor landers. And um, I've also uh, been following your program. And I'm uh, proud uh, to be a guest after uh, previous uh, guests like uh, Doug Casey, Jeff Barwick, Edward Griffin, who I am a big fan of. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that uh, I can follow in, in their big footsteps today.
0: Yeah, those are some big names. So again, to reiterate, I mean, we uh, we love Doug Casey over here. If it wasn't for some individuals like Jeff Berwick, Kolya, I would have never met you because I never, uh, I didn't know about Lieberland until he came around. And there's, I think he dropped another cool name in there, G. Edward Griffin, Mr. Red Pill himself, uh, one of the true individuals paving the way for modern day freedom. Man, I look up to all, all four of you guys. I put you right up there with him. And I don't think any of them have been to every single country in the world. So you've got something on them here, Dr. Danger Zone.
1: Yes, what um, I uh, did over the last 10 years was mainly traveling in order to achieve my dream. I was chasing the dream of traveling to every country in the world. There's actually a scene out there of people who do this. Uh, About 200 people uh, in the history of the world have been to every country. Uh, There have been 500 in space. Uh, Space is defined as the Kármán line, 100 kilometers above Earth. So um, it is a a small club, but it's getting bigger. Or let's say uh, the club of people who travel to every country in the world was getting
0: bigger until the invisible enemy struck last year. And speaking of that club, because we've spoken and talked about this before, I need to put it on my own radar again, (laughs) because it sounds like a very exciting group of people to be surrounded by. And yeah, I just kind of want to put it on on my goals and bucket list. Would love to to join it one day. So what's the name of the club and what does that process look like? I have created an annual meeting of um,
1: the Extreme Traveler International Congress, where mostly people meet who have been to every country in the world. But um, the qualifying criteria is actually to have uh, traveled to 100 countries. So if uh, you've done that, Adam, or with a friend like you, uh, we will not be so strict with the one hundred. I've got about, I've got about ninety. Perfect. You're most invited to our next meeting. <laughs> uh, Jeff Barwick has been to, uh, I think, almost every country. Doug Casey has been to, I think, one hundred fifty. Uh, so um, I have got this um, get together every year and. These people, they, they travel a lot. Even nowadays, while we are under all those restrictions, it's not easy. I can talk more about that later. But there is a, a special knowledge pool around the people we've just mentioned and about, um, around the landers uh, This sort of understanding how the world works uh, does not come from travel per se. Um, I have found... Uh, the circles of Austrian school economists and um, of libertarians or anarcho-capitalists or even agorists, the most fruitful for conversations, uh, how this
0: world really works. Right. Okay. So you just dropped so many teasers right there. Um, the first one I want to zone in on is following up based on what you just said, which is there's something distinctive and different about this knowledge group, because you can meet people who've kind of traveled and been around the world. Uh, but it sounds like this group is not only unified through having that experience of going around and seeing different places. It sounds like everyone kind of thinks in a similar manner, um, which echoes probably what you, what you stand for and what I stand for as well. So in your opinion, what what is different about the, the knowledge within this group compared to maybe another travel group? There's many people who
1: travel or who travel a lot or even who have been to every country, who still see the world the way they have been programmed through television at home. That means they will go to uh, so-called rogue states like Iran or North Korea or Syria, and they will judge it uh, by the perceptions that have been programmed at home. Uh, Television programming is very strong. And for me, the decisive difference is... uh, are people watching television or not? You can nowadays even see outside on the street immediately if a person is a TV watcher or not. Uh, because the TV watchers, they were sort of a diaper in their faces.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're spot on. And we've seen that firsthand now over the past year, just how much fear has been struck into the world. And it's definitely moved beyond just watching television too. I'm sure you can agree these phones, <laughs> um, Facebook, Instagram, you know any mainstream social media, we get confused because I think a lot of people like to use the phrase mainstream media as well. And they don't realize that all those social media platforms I just mentioned are also mainstream media. They're also consistently and constantly pushing out an agenda to keep you thinking a certain way. And so um, I really would like to know from a, a safety perspective and a travel perspective and just you know, I, I follow you on Twitter, which actually, by the way, can, what's your Twitter name again? Can we get that out there so people can follow you? It's uh, at
1: Spory Sport, just I think like my handle here on the Zoom uh, conference. Yeah,
0: you can see it there. Spory Sport. Guys, go follow him on Twitter. Um, you see the world through different lenses, and I admire it greatly. And I wish <laughs> I wish more people would see it the way you do. So um, I guess let's focus on travel because that's, that's really something I'm just curious about. Is I have been living in Canada for the past year or so. And I'm sure you've seen some of the ridiculous things going on here as far as going in and out of this country. What's the ray of hope here? What's the positive way that someone who you know wants to travel and not have somebody breathing down their neck? Like, how do you go about doing it? First of all, I have
1: little hope for people in the United States or Canada or the other five IS countries. They're sort of at the center of the global attack we're experiencing at the moment. Um, You just mentioned fear. Um, Societies have been guided and governed by fear forever. This is sort of the number one uh, method of controlling populations. Now, with the social media you have just mentioned and the technology, the methods have become a lot more sophisticated. And that is why, unfortunately, this invisible enemy has been invented so that we are all in the future controlled through a digital identity that will monitor our movement around the world everywhere, every time. And the main purpose of that is uh, 100% taxation, control, slavery. That's been around for a long time, but there were many loopholes for people like yourself, myself, I think many of the people who watch this program. But the loopholes are closing, and it's getting very, very difficult in the future. Nevertheless, um, I was recently talking with Doug Casey, and um, I uh, sort of did not give much hope for the future. Indeed, I think if this takeover, which we can call a Bolshevik communist takeover or fascist takeover, I call them the Green Khmer because they will use nature and climate change, what they call it, in order to control people, all the people in the world and uh, lower our standard of living and make our lives miserable, like the Red Khmer in Cambodia in the 1970s. So this is what I see in the future. But let's say with a bit of luck, we still have a couple of years left where we can roam freely, relatively freely around the world. I am just back from a very, very difficult and dangerous place. Last week, I was in Donbass in the war zone in eastern Ukraine. And it was the, despite I've been to every war zone in uh, in the world over the last 10, 15 years, it was the first time I was actually inside an active trench system where there was mortar shots from the other side. The West is shooting uh, towards the East with mortar and machine guns. And that was uh, a moment where I
0: was uh, afraid for sure. Wow. Um, and that, that leads me to my next question, which is, you are Dr. Danger Zone, not just because it sounds cool, but because of actual real-world experience, you've been to a lot of danger zones. I've heard, you know, We really haven't highlighted that yet. We've talked about the different countries you've been to, but you've intentionally gone to places that people say, hey, Colia, don't go here. <laughs> so um, tell us about, I mean, what have you learned from that? And... Yeah, I mean, just what are your key takeaways from being in environments like that? And tell us about maybe some different places around the world you'll never forget those danger zones. Uh, First of all,
1: uh, the fear that we learn on television is not uh, correct. Even in uh, so-called dangerous places, you can usually move quite freely, whereas at home, you might encounter dangerous. Like the United States, for me, has always been a relatively dangerous place. Not only because of uh, private danger uh, dangerous people, but especially uh, because it's a police state and uh, the system is very dangerous and has been for a long time. So I've been to Benghazi in uh, May 2011, I believe. That was when the, the Battle of Benghazi was just at the, the front line was just in town. I, I came in from Egypt. I was in Grozny, Chechnya when it was still considered dangerous, I think 2009, 2010. I've been uh, to Baghdad. I've been to Mogadishu, which is the most dangerous capital city in the world. I've um, been three times now to the Donbass already, 2015, 2018, 2021. This is a decisive area of world um, history and geopolitics at the moment because it it is sort of the, the overarching uh, power struggle where the powers to be are actually controlling the world by separating uh, Germany from Russia. This is a key element. It's called uh, the Heartland Doctrine by Halford McKinder, a British guy from 1906 is when he wrote that. I've been to many other um, dangerous places, including natural dangers like the North Pole. I ran a marathon that is organized by an Irish guy, Richard Donovan. Great event. I've been to Antarctica with him to a place called Neuschwabenland, And... um, I have been on the uh, coldest uh, road in the world at minus sixty-two degrees centigrade Celsius. That's very cold, actually. Minus how much? What was it? Minus what? Minus sixty-two degrees centigrade. Wow. <laughs> that is, um, uh, I think the record yeah. uh, for inhabited spaces was minus seventy-one degrees centigrade. So, uh, I've been to the northernmost road end in Siberia, which is more north than Taktoyaktuk in Canada or um, the North Cup in um, Norway. So, this is a bit of my my travel background. So, uh, Dr. Danger Zone means I I know a little bit about uh, dangerous situations, dangerous places, the difference between propaganda and real danger. And um, at the
0: moment, the invisible enemy is mostly propaganda. Yes, I agree. To, I hope, like we're we might have a little bit of an echo chamber going on here today's interview, but this is like why because you're saying so many things that um, are always running through my head, and you know what, like it, it can get lonely sometimes. So um, again, I'm just grateful to have you on here, Koya, and sharing your take from someone I would consider very experienced. And again, <laughs> you're naming all these different places. It's just like wow. So. um I also was just wondering, have you been to um, Venezuela or Somalia during those times of turmoil? I was in Venezuela in um,
1: 1989 when I was about 19 years old. And um, it was already dangerous and difficult at the time, although it was not uh, full-blown socialism or communism yet. Venezuela is one of those examples uh, we use in the libertarian world to describe a failed state because of the failed policy of socialism, which is certainly true to a large extent, but the whole American continent is screwed up from top to bottom because of uh, colonialism, and especially on the southern continent. This is a struggle between the real indigenous people and the colonizers or the the, the modern uh, occupiers, uh, the European peoples, It's not so much visible in the U.S. because the indigenous people have been pushed back even a lot more, but it's the same phenomena uh, per se. So, yes, Venezuela is a difficult place, a tough place, but uh, super beautiful, super friendly people, beautiful women. Uh, Somalia is different. Uh, That is a lot more dangerous uh, visibly. You can feel it when you're in the streets. You can't move around as a Westerner without real heavy protection. So you will really be moving like in one of those films with uh, six guys with Kalashnikov sitting on the back of a Toyota pickup and you probably have a bulletproof car and uh, you will definitely sleep in a hotel that has been blown up before. Every hotel has been blown up before. Uh, so you can look at the photos, which half of it was gone at some point, and you just hope while you're sleeping there that nothing's going to happen. Uh, Mogadishu is not so difficult to travel to, but uh,
0: it is uh, certainly a, a little bit nerve-wracking. I, I didn't, uh, now I'm putting to. I knew that, I knew Mogadishu. Is it the capital? Yes, it's the capital of okay. Somalia proper.
1: There's two other uh, bigger parts uh, of this sort of divided country. One is Somaliland, where the capital is Hargeisa which is easy to travel to and pretty safe. And then there's uh, Puntland in the north mm-hmm. where all the pirates used to be or still are and the capital is Bosaso. It's a port town, I've been there. Also again, with heavy protection. This is maybe the most difficult part of Somalia to get
0: to, the, the pirate area, Puntland. Hmm. Wow, okay. So one thing that we've discussed here so far is is loopholes, travel loopholes. Could you elaborate what you mean by that because I know again, granted the, the state of the, the world right now, I'll just put it this way I am going to hold out as long as possible before getting any of these you know new passports that they're talking about. How do I, how do I maintain my liberty and travel? or how do we? <laughs>
1: in, in the past, the system was basically a combination of fiat money, federal reserve money, combined with taxation. And one could flee from taxation by moving to favorable uh, domiciles um, and having legal constructions. And many people have done that, especially entrepreneurs who were free to move around or perpetual travelers. Uh, This is a recent phenomenon and gave freedom to many people. And especially in our Liberland scene, which in itself is sort of a loophole among countries, it is very popular to be uh, such a sovereign individual and uh, live outside the fence. But the system wants to get us back into the fence. And uh, so they have created this invisible enemy as a Hegelian dialectic.
0: That means they create a problem and offer a solution uh, to people who who want to be... Uh, uh, Can you restate what you call that? Because I've heard that theory before. And I want to make sure we get it in the comments here on Facebook. It's the Hegelian dialectic. Hegel was a German
1: guy, a philosopher. And the dialectic, that actually means two tongues. It's actually defining the world as it is very much. It's a divide and rule situation where the powers to be always divide people into two um, sides. And they, they create a problem like, a, you know, fear of terror, fear of climate change, fear of this virus, the so-called invisible enemy. And then they offer to all those people uh, who are on the fearful side of the division a solution that is protection by the strong state. The state the government at all time tries to promote its existence, its raison d'etre, its reason for being, by creating um, the, the, uh, a hypothesis of hope for the mass of the people. And uh, people who don't understand it will ask for government help uh, to protect them from terrorism, from the virus, uh, from climate change, and so on. This is a Hegelian dialectic. Uh, one can also call it a satanic dialectic that sounds a bit stronger but it's actually the same thing satan just means the divider like Diablo, dividing into two and the you know powers to be that control us nowadays they are satanic they
0: divide and rule the people so that was a, a little background on yeah my, yeah no um, thank you i didn't i never realized that was the the root of the because you always hear it just oh for example like satanic or satan isn't a satan like oh it's it's a bad thing <laughs> But now I have a better understanding of what it really is. (laughs) Um, So uh,
1: the COVID-1984 regime is a Hegelian dialectic and loopholes. At the moment, there are still some loopholes uh, for travelers. Like in my circle, people travel a lot. I think there's about 90 countries in the world where you can still enter without extreme uh, restrictions. Extreme restrictions would be... um, for me, like a two-week quarantine, uh, sometimes in prisons. Like in Australia, it's a prison-like situation when you arrive there. Another extreme restriction is uh, uh, PCR tests um, uh, through the back door. Like it's, it's tough enough in the mouth and in the in the nose, but in China they do it in a more delicate part of the body. So I think I've that heard is, of that. I didn't know that was real. <laughs> I think that story went even in mainstream media in um, in the U.S., where this delegation <laughs> was actually tested for COVID. That made me laugh, but uh, I wouldn't want to be in the same situation. And the system is coercing us into compliance, into obeying the rules. But you can still stretch the rules a lot at the moment. But the next step is for sure going to be this, what uh, in the EU EU is called the Green Pass, which is a digital passport on the mobile phone. So you can still travel uh, as long as you're um, vaccinated, which is, of course, not a vaccine, but... Uh, that's another long story right right <laughs> and then after this we will find a situation where even the smartphone as the digital pass will not be enough anymore for the powers to be it will definitely be a combination of the human body with his digital identity and his um, his way of showing his identity to the outside to the powers to be or checking in in an airplane and so on this is technologically now possible, and it is all described in uh, Klaus Schwab's book, *The Great Reset*. It's really a mandatory reading because it's it's like Mao's uh, Red Bible, where every step of the program of the COVID nineteen eighty four regime can be read. Yeah, how do you okay the loopholes?
0: Well, that's what I'm wondering: is the loopholes like I want to even use yourself as an example because you definitely strike again someone similar to me, where it's like I have no. Zero desire to, to do this. So, you know, is there any hope for us or are we just going to have to go with it? I have no hope uh, in the mid or long
1: term because I think the dumbed down masses will accept anything nowadays. They are TV program zombies and they are the large majority everywhere. So I'm a pessimist in, in the mid and long term. In the short term, traveling now is possible. You need good nerves. To give you an example, I just traveled to the Donbas. That meant I had to go to Russia first. There's only 10 countries at the moment that can travel to Russia because of the COVID regulations that just changed. So once it opened for Germans, I got my tourist visa to travel to Russia. Lufthansa didn't want to take me on board the flight because they didn't know about the regulations yet. So I had to argue and finally made it on board, arrived in Russia. Next problem, getting into the Donbas region, you have to go from Russia. It's closed from Ukraine. The Ukrainians are not allowing anybody to travel into this Eastern part of their country. So Eastern Ukraine, it's unfortunately a bit of a Soviet communist system now. Uh, Nevertheless, they are the victims. Uh, They are also using a strong COVID regime. You need paperwork, et cetera. I didn't have it. I talked my way in because I have been to Russia so often. I have a good standing with their uh, secret services, I guess. So after half an hour talking, they knew I was a bona fide traveler and also fighting for their cause. I was in the country. Then you're stuck in a a really sort of war zone, dangerous place. On the second night, I felt a bit uh, high temperature at night. And I thought, man, if I am going to have a fever while exiting the Donbass, because they, they have those fever thermometers at every border, If they send me back, I'm going to be stuck in the Donbass for two weeks in quarantine, maybe get really sick. This is something that makes you nervous. So you need a lot of guts to travel these days. So I got out again into Russia. And then to board the flight back home, you need another PCR test. I went to St. Petersburg Airport to get a test for my departure the next day. And it wasn't ready. Can you imagine? So I had no PCR test. And I got on board the Aeroflot flight because the Russians are a way cooler without the PCR test. <laughs> and then the more, more difficult part was getting back into Germany without a PCR test. Oh, sure. I'm sure. very much looking sure. at all the rules and the paperwork. And I couldn't imagine myself with a bit of talking, quite a bit of talking, like saying, oh, I, I've had the test. Otherwise, I wouldn't be on board. I've got the stamp. But I've lost the paper on the flight. I did, don't have it with me. They let me in as well. So what I'm saying is you can go through the loophole, uh, but it'll hurt a bit. It's tight and narrow and you'll get some bruises and you need good nerves. But do travel now. Maybe it's going to be impossible pretty soon. Mm. You know I don't like to hear that.
0: <laughs> but I again I can't I can't argue with you. So um, I guess throughout your experience traveling recently, what's been your key to staying healthy? you know I, I know people that have you know have gotten the the illness and recovered actually anyone i know that's gotten it is completely back to normal now i haven't been exposed to it as far as i know and i know i have a good immune system but like for you i'm, I'm sure you're keeping healthy and you have ways that you're remaining invincible so to speak what, what's your advice first of all
1: statistically this is just a flu the flu has always killed people and it could be tough i mean we've all had the flu strong a week and you don't want to have it in a strong version So I think, in general, being fit and uh, getting a lot of fresh air, being outside in the sun, being social and happy with people, this is all they are actually um, forbidding us to do with social distancing and mask wearing and so on. Uh, So you can already see the system wants to make us sick and doesn't want to keep us healthy. But then really, if you do not feel well, if you feel like you've been affected, I think the uh, rule number one is Uh, Zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D. So I usually eat uh, some of this or use uh, tablets for that. And uh, I'm not a person who denies the existence of this coronavirus. Uh, But nevertheless, this is all speculation. But when I went on uh, a long boat trip recently, uh, on a yacht trip to Clipperton Island, I took along hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin as a possible... Uh, medication if I or somebody else on the yacht gets a strong uh, flu. Uh, So I'm always uh, hedging my uh, chances. I'm always getting the best information possible. And uh, as a danger zone person, one has to operate like this. And uh, nevertheless, I know nobody in my larger circles of friends who has even had um, this flu One of our extreme travelers at a very old age has actually died from it, a Turkish gentleman who I had met once. That is unfortunate. But um, statistically, for a person like me who goes to war zones, this is not um, an important
0: calculation factor, this this, uh, current flu, coronavirus. Yeah. And so, uh, as you mentioned right there, the best information is key. And um, I think that's, again, that's where we're going to find sovereignty and liberty is, is staying tapped into what information is available. Because I think as we're seeing, as you're talking about, you can't really stay stagnant in one place and think everything's always going to be the same forever. I mean, we just saw how quickly things can change. So um, I still want to keep zoning in on this one. And then I also want to figure out your recommendations on like the best places to live right now. But for the first thing I just want to get clear is, do you really feel as though Like, it's inevitable, like you're going to have to get this shot you know, everyone else is going to have to get it. Is that what you see happening moving forward or is there a way to to hold out? (laughs) For quite a while, you
1: just need the stamp, not the shot. I will never get uh, the shot, the jab. Um, The jab, yeah. (laughs) That might mean to live differently, to live um, sort of reclusive uh, in the countryside, in an autarky situation, at some point, maybe that's what they are trying to coerce us into. I hope they don't succeed totally. So this, in my opinion, will be the same in every country in the world because out of the 193 United Nations members and even the 30 non-United Nations uh, that are quite autonomous countries, it is everywhere the same. The very few exceptions were Tanzania, where the president, Magafuli, got killed when he had a sort of free... anti-COVID 1984 regime. The other country is still um, Belorussia, where President Lukashenko was offered uh, a bribe, and then even a big bribe, and when it declined, he got a color revolution that he's still defending against, and he even had a kill team uh, sent to him. People know this in Eastern Europe, but it's not in our media. So um, there is no real loopholes out there, but some countries will be better than others, like those countries that were always a bit less uh, stringent, uh, with people that are a bit uh, more relaxed, and uh, where the system is not that strong, we all know countries like that.
0: That is a loophole for a while, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So where where uh, you're coming to us from, Monaco, right now, correct?
1: I'm in Monaco di Baviera, which is a little further north. <laughs> um, I think Monaco is a is a very good country to live in general, um, but um, the future of of the system that, uh, that we're just talking about will will certainly be the same in in all those uh, sort of big uh, classical civilized countries. Loopholes could be one of those uh, 13 autonomous uh, countries that are not members of the United Nations, like uh, Abkhazia uh, at the Black Sea. Suhumi is the capital of that. That is a pretty cool place weather-wise and people-wise. And you're out of the system. Uh, Tougher places would be Western Sahara, which is really off the charts, but you need to be strong to live there. But probably you will be there without control in the desert somewhere. I think some islands uh, will take it cooler than others in in the Pacific, especially if you're on an outer island that is not uh, really the the centerpiece of that island republic. Uh, I know that some people uh, are in Saipan quite happily from our scene. So these are... um, at the moment, some examples uh, where one can, one can uh, live a little better. In the background, you hear my dog, Snoopy. This is the biggest advice I have for anybody. Get in touch with nature, love animals, especially a dog. Um, Anatole Franz, who is a big philosopher, said, uh, if you haven't uh, loved um, an animal, your soul has not been truly awakened. And I find this very true.
0: <laughs> how, um, how many countries has
1: Snoopy been to? <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice question. He's from Hungary. It's a Hungarian hunting dog. He drove through Austria to get to Germany. Okay. So he has been to three countries. And I'm I'm unhappy that he has not even seen the sea. I would love him to bite into the waves in the ocean. But Snoopy doesn't like
0: traveling. Oh, okay. So he normally um, stays put there in, in Monaco? Yes. Debeviera? Is that right? Do I say it right? Yes. That's Munich in Germany, uh, where my uh,
1: longtime uh, partner lives, my wife. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So, um, well, I, I had to ask that because um, I've got a little puppy running around here too, Luca. Um, she's German. She's a Dachshund mixed with um, Mini Poodle. But uh, yeah, we're we have travels on on our horizon, and I want to bring Luca around with us. But I just wonder what it's like being an extreme traveler with your with your animal. What your best plan of practice is?
1: Can you take your dog on board? Is,
0: is... I mean, she's yeah, she's you know what, definitely less than fifteen pounds. So. Or, I'm not sure if that is in kilograms. <laughs> Perfect. that that's a, that's a good solution to travel uh, with your
1: loved uh, dog. Um Snoopy is too big, so he always has to stay home.
0: <laughs> all right. So um, I'm not sure how far down this rabbit hole we can go, but it's something you and I know we've discussed in the past is um, I mean, coming with all of this experience around the world, you get to meet some very unique people. Um, probably some pretty influential and powerful people, and when I say that, I mean individuals of power that the rest of the world isn't even aware of. Type of power. Um, I don't know which direction to go with this because I don't. Like, I know you probably can't drop a whole lot of names, but in your opinion, like, let's put it this way: you know who is really running things right now? Because I think we're under a mirage that oh, this country is running things, this country is doing that, but it's not the country; it's people. You know, you can say like, you know, puppeteer type of stuff. So what's really going on here? Okay. uh, To answer
1: the last question first, um, if you want to know who's in power, ask yourself who you must not criticize. That's what Voltaire said. So I'm not Mm going to say more about that. I was always driven by meeting interesting people and I have a talent for it. And I think everybody can turn on his own magnet I think people who are motivated to make a lot of money, they will make it because uh, if you really want something and you basically speak to the universe, the universe will give it to you. And for me, this motivation was meeting interesting people, powerful people. Uh, My first uh, job, I was a head of VIP relations and sports marketing for Hugo Boss that uh, allowed me to meet uh, sort of the most famous people in the world. From sports and Hollywoods and business and so on. Later, I worked uh, for almost twenty years in Formula One, and again, um, that was a, like a World Economic Forum uh, every two weeks. Uh, CEOs, etc. At that time, I didn't know that World Economic Forum is a bad thing. <laughs> I thought they were actually interesting. So, for a long time, I was driven by meeting powerful people to understand the system. Now, something strange happened to me in the last maybe one year or not much more. I found out that. The people who have not studied uh, some social justice um, studies, some some um, what we call in German "geschwätzwissenschaften." It means like bullshit sciences, indoctrination, indoctrination type. Uh, I've studied yeah. bullshit science. Yeah, I'm an economist, so uh, sociologists, All these people who basically are uh, going to be taxi drivers one day. Uh, But very normal people, hardworking people, they understand much better what's happening at the moment with this COVID-1984 regime. It's this middle class, upper middle class strata that aspires to uh, social climbing, etc. They have not understood what's going on. And so a lot of the powerful people I've met before, or famous people, they are actually stuck in the system and they don't have much of a clue. Uh, But I've met leaders, thought leaders... uh, and sometimes especially intelligence, military intelligence people who did open my eyes into, in one way or the other. So I was fortunate to meet some warlords and um, Prince Johnson in um, in Liberia. He cut his predecessor's uh, ears off, uh, Samuel Doe, on television, on CNN. I remember seeing that as a kid. So I met this Prince Johnson in Liberia at the inauguration of President El Johnson, sure quite a frightening guy. Uh, I met and I've even become friends with the Kadyrov family in Chechnya, a very interesting place that I like a lot. A former warlord who is now a, a good participant in the Russian system, a good guy. Um, I've met a very infamous uh, warlord by the name of Donald Rumsfeld. I've said this in other places before. I've met Donald Rumsfeld in the elevator in a hotel in Batumi, Ajaria, Georgia, at uh, the Black Sea. So uh, then I've met... Um, Actually, I've read. I've met the real M from James Bond. You know, the the woman that leads MI five, MI six intelligence. Yeah. She this in reality and looks exactly like Judi Dench in the movie. So Judi Dench was selected because of the original um, wow. um, M. So I've met her, and um, last year I've met the whole leadership of the FARC rebels in Colombia. Uh, That was quite interesting. We trekked into their mountain republic of Marketalia together as the first foreign visitors in 60 years. So um, uh, I've met a couple of uh, heads of state, like I've had dinner with Gorbachev privately and with Helmut Kohl, our chancellor, Albert of Monaco. This is name dropping now, but what I want to... um, tell other people is you have to go outside and and meet people and see reality with your own eyes. It's possible. And then you can make a much better judgment about what's going on Uh, not be an NPC, a
0: non-player character. Everybody can be a player. You just have to go out yourself. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So thank you because that establishes, in my opinion, like the credibility that we're going for here to maybe go a little, again, a little bit deeper if you can. And I think that's why I'm drawn to you. I feel like what you just explained of yourself as younger, wanting to just meet all these people, just like a, a truth seeker. I'm a truth seeker. And like who is, in your opinion, who is running this world? You said those that you can't criticize and I completely agree with that on many levels. Um, but do you really see all these lines in the sand as all different places running their own business? Or is there a Wizard of Oz that we're missing here?
1: There's a parasitic group and a... Hyperparasite on top of it, which is a cult. It's a satanic cult. And it's um, been going on visibly for about 230 years, probably before that. But since then, you can find it in history books and put things together. But you have to have good sources because these sort of books are not easy to find. They're censored and banned. But um, uh, I met a person who actually put a podcast out that was called the cult that hijacked the world, and it is pretty spot on, but I will not say more because um, I feel this is dangerous. Yeah? Everybody has to do their own research. It's pretty obvious, in my
0: opinion, uh, but it's not allowed uh, to be uh, spelled out. Right, right. We're going, we're kind of going into the danger zone right here just by talking about it. And I'm getting, I'm getting excited. My adrenaline's gone a little bit. So thank you. I know we're not in a war zone right now, but I really appreciate this. So um, I guess let our audience and our listeners know like, what are, in your opinion, some of the best places for trustworthy information right now?
1: The internet at the moment is still a good
0: source of information. And it's a time
1: window that is probably closing at some point, either through more heavy censorship or through the social credit score system that will basically uh, kill the, the existence of people who who are sort of consuming the wrong uh, books and websites uh, on the Internet. That's going to come for sure. But if people uh, feel it's um, there's too much disinformation on the Internet, which is true, there's a lot of it, uh, then they can go into physical books that have been written 20 years ago, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, even 200 years ago. And there's one stringent narrative there that cannot have been manipulated sort of by uh, trolls that sit in GCHQ in the UK or somewhere in Virginia all day long uh, putting it's the own. Actually,
0: when I was back in my uh, my days of punching the clock, I provided paint. I worked for a company, a paint company that painted the parking lot of that place in Virginia you're talking about right now. I can't, yeah, no, I know. I helped him out. I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> you know, life
1: is, um, is is not a straight uh, route forward. I got um, an award as a student for my thesis, which was a comparison of the policies of Russia and China at the time from, um, from uh, central plant economies to market economies. And that prize was from an organization that I hadn't heard of before, but I gladly accepted the 10,000 Deutsche Mark at the time as prize money. And uh, 20 years later, I thought I should research who were those people. And that was a CIA front organization because that's how they recruit people Mm. who uh, obviously are good in analyzing um, geopolitical uh, situations and countries. So I've actually met a CIA extraordinary rendition team. You remember when in Afghanistan, those poor fellows were abducted and taken for torture in Guantanamo and in other countries. I've met one of those teams. They didn't uh, tell me exactly where they were coming from, but later I understood exactly what they were doing. And, you know, the the top guy of them was a nice guy, except that his job was really one of the most rotten things one could do. in life, you you inevitably, like I said, if you go through a loophole in the fence, you will have bruises uh, left and right. Uh, it's not it's not all easy, and um, you know, in a normal career, inevitable you will meet um, people
0: who are on the wrong side uh, of of truth or or morale or history. Yeah, that's that's part of life. We got uh, one of our listeners right now, my buddy Austin Linney, who I'm actually I'm co-authoring a book with him right now. He just commented. This is the coolest guy I have ever met. Why are we not friends? <laughs> What's up, Austin? Um, real quick, one more time. So I'm thinking, since you referenced how, again, information is moving and changing, and who knows from a censorship perspective where we'll be here in the near future. My hope and my um, optimism comes from the world of blockchain and decentralization. I know there eventually will be technology that will figure out how to centralize decentralization, but it's looking good right now. Um I'm thinking probably the best way to stay plugged into hashtag the truth would be to follow you on Twitter just to stay connected to a source again like you. You guys can follow me too. I like I'm hanging out with people like Colia as often as possible. But again, it's spory sport on Twitter. Correct? Correct. Adam, thank you very much for advertising me. <laughs>
1: uh, as people will see on my Twitter account or elsewhere, I'm not monetizing uh, anything on the internet. So I'm not a big uh, voice, I'm just uh, myself. Uh, basically, I used to research for myself all the time and I'm happy to uh, give um, my knowledge or any advice uh, to people who, who like to hear it. And um, it's its uh, I'm a non-mainstream uh, voice and will certainly always uh, stay one because what I'm saying is not um, what the system wants to hear. And uh, some people even think that the COVID-1984 regime is a reaction to so many people awakening in the past to the real truth out there and what's really going on. So the lockdown is really a panic uh, reaction of, of those powers to be. Could be gives us a bit of hope. So keep fighting it in your everyday lives, wherever you are. Uh, Fight this uh, particular transition, uh, which I call the flu d'etat. It's a great word I found
0: in the internet. So it's a coup d'etat using a flu. Yeah. Okay. So this is the final place I want to drive some traffic here. Because guys, again, Kolya and I wouldn't know each other if it weren't for the amazing country of Lieberland, which is again, talk about places in the world that have this ray of hope that we're talking about. Lieberland is a great place. You can go to Lieberland.org to learn more. I also happen to host the Lieberland show. So if you want to check out our podcast, Kolya was episode nine, I believe. And then we've referenced him a lot here too. So I want to give a shout out to... Um, to two of our friends, one Doug Casey. You guys can go to internationalman.com, someone I've looked up to tremendously throughout the years. And then Jeff Berwick is really like his information was the portal to like a lot of where I'm at now and um, where I work, like where I actually work, meeting Colya, like the list goes on. So dollarvigilante.com, go to dollarvigilante.com to get some great information there as well. Um, and he's the one who's who I heard you talking about how I'm um, there's a little bit of a panic right now, growing maybe coming from that that group that we referenced very lightly. There, um, he was one of the first people I heard say it. Now hear, I'm hearing you say it again too, which is awesome. So, um, Koya, any closing remarks for our listeners? Any wisdom, you know, again from someone who's been everywhere, been to every country, and not only that, been to every danger zone. What's your your golden nugget of advice for our listeners as we make our way into this next decade? Yeah. Um. I want to combine
1: um, this with a compliment to you, Adam, your energy, uh, your positive energy of connecting people, uh, bringing us all together on this platform is exactly what um, the good guys out there need. We need to communicate with each other. We need to up our morale. We need to be aware that there's not only TV-programmed zombies out there, but a lot of people who have understood uh, what's going wrong. We might not have a good solution yet, but by communicating and being connected through networks like yourselves and Liberland and um, Anacapulco, uh, the Dollar Vigilante, Doug Casey, uh, all the Austrian economists, many others, um, I think we are doing the best we can
0: under the circumstances. And thank you, Adam, for uh, having me on your program today. Dr. Dangerzone, thank you <laughs> for coming on the show. Um, guys, I, I, we've had some great interviews here. And, you know, it might be the euphoria of the moment, but man, this has been, I, I really think we are unlocking some new levels of amazing, this is not the right word, amazingness, awesomeness <laughs> on Dream Chasers. So um, thank you one more time, Dr. Danger Zone, Colia Spory. It's been a complete honor having you on the show. Thank you, Adam. All the best to you and all the listeners. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to Dream Chasers interviews with the future. We'll catch you in the next episode. Remember, in all you think, say, and do, take it to the next level. Thank you once again for investing your most valuable resource with us here today, your time. If you enjoyed today's episode, please drop a five-star rating and a review below. Take a screenshot of it and send it over to at Carswell.io. We have a present for you. We really appreciate you guys leaving those reviews because it really helps with the overall SEO and visibility of the show and allows us to continue to bring on high quality guests. So once again, thank you. And remember, take it to the next level.